I'm so glad you're joining us today as we open God's Word. I, I pray that the worship has been special for you, and, and uh, we're just prepared to open God's Word and hear what He has to say for us uh, this week, and, and especially today. But this is Holy Week, and Holy Week is uh, moving up to Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, which is next Sunday. But today, traditionally, is what we call Palm Sunday, and I brought a palm branch just so... Uh, Maybe this is what it looked like, maybe not, but I brought one that uh, that you could see. And the reason we call this Palm Sunday is that uh, uh, this was when Jesus made his triumphal entry on the back of a donkey colt into Jerusalem. And the people were taking palm branches and they were waving them, probably a, uh, a political uh, symbol, but definitely a sign of respect. And they did this for Jesus as he was coming in and they said, uh, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and so that's what they did on this Sunday about 2,000 years ago and as Jesus came into Jerusalem. And uh, the interesting thing about that is that that same crowd would be a few days later uh, saying crucify him. And so this is the beginning of Holy Week. And uh, I want to kind of set up where we're going over the next few weeks just to kind of help you out a little bit. Um, we're... We are in the middle of uh, the coronavirus. That's what it has everybody's mind. But we've entered into a new decade, too, which means that the census is going to be taken. And uh, th- with the census, especially when it comes to uh, a religious preference, they discovered in 2010 when they did the census that there was something added to the census, and it will be in this census uh, this year as well, that if somebody has no religious preference they can check that they have no religious preference at all. And these are called nuns. Nuns, they have no religious preference. Um, either they uh, uh, just have never had one or they've chosen not to select one. So they're called the nuns. And this is one of the fastest growing areas under religion that exists. But there's another group that has come along as well. Now, they won't be on the census, but they are called the duns. And the duns are those that feel like they've done their pew time, they've become disillusioned maybe with religion, and they have, for some reason, walked away from church. And so you've got the nuns and the duns, and maybe that's you that are watching today. You're thinking, I want to give this a chance, but I fall into that category of the nuns and the duns. And what I've discovered is these nuns and duns did not walk away from the church Because of Jesus, they usually walked away because they became disillusioned with something else and not Jesus himself. So as I began to pray about that, um, I I, I got concerned because Jesus said if uh, when he talked about talked to his disciples, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if this salt has lost its flavor, it's good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. And so I, I get concerned in, have we as the church lost the flavor of who Jesus truly is because people are not rejecting Jesus? So as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, we need to reintroduce ourselves to Jesus. And we want to, over the next seven weeks, really try to use uh, the Gospel of John to reintroduce you to Jesus the best we can. And here's how we're going to do it. In the Gospel of John... 
John mentions seven times that Jesus made I am statements. Today we're going to deal with I am the bread of life. But you're going to see seven of them over the course of these weeks. And we're going to deal with them. Now, you need to understand this, though. Back in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there was Moses. And Moses is out watching the sheep. And as he's out there watching the sheep out in the desert, he comes upon a bush that is burning but is not being consumed. And uh, there's a voice, the voice of God comes forth from the bush, and it's giving uh, Moses instructions to go down to Egypt to uh, help his people get out of slavery. And Moses asked the voice, he said, who shall I uh, say is sending me? And God gave himself the title simply this, I am. I am. It's uh, the term for he is everything. He is ever present. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is I am. And that's what he said. You just say I am is sending you. So now we come to the New Testament. Jesus, the son of God, he makes these seven statements in John. And he says, I am, which is uh, sh- showing that he is divine. He is God. I am. And then he gives a description on the end of that, which allows us to know part of his character and why he came. And so I hope this is a way for us to reintroduce Jesus, because, listen, it's all about him. And and uh, we want to know Jesus intimately because our faith is built upon him. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 6, and you can look that up, and and you're going to have to trust me today. John chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 22, but you're going to have to allow me to talk you through it a little bit, because this is such a lengthy passage and uh, that I don't want to read the whole thing, but I want to be able to uh, highlight certain things in here about where Jesus said that he is uh, the bread of life. And... uh, Let me set it up. It's it begins in verse 22 by saying this the next day. Now, that doesn't seem like that big a deal, but you got to know what happened on the previous days to make this day so special. So here's what took place. Two miracles of Jesus. One was he took a little boy's sack lunch of uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, and he multiplied that so that five thousand plus people could eat. Now, that is a lot of fish and chips right there. And so he multiplied that so all of them could eat and there was leftovers left over. And so what what happened after that is Jesus dismissed his disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee. He went up into the uh, mountains to pray. He he tried to dismiss the crowd and they kind of dispersed a little bit. And then the disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee. The next miracle is this. This is interesting. Some miracles are for everybody. Some are very specific. The the storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are trying to think, are we going to die in the midst of this? And here comes Jesus walking on the water. And as he's walking on the water, the disciples are fearful, but he gets into the boat. The storms cease. Two miracles. This is what happened. And so uh, we see one miracle for everybody, one miracle for just the disciples. And it says the next day, the crowd and the crowd starts looking for Jesus. And so they start looking for Jesus. And as they began this search for Jesus, you'll notice on in scriptures in verse 24, it says once the crowd realized 
that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there. They got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search for Jesus. So they go across the Sea of Galilee to find Jesus. Now, let me let me just say something here uh, that's going to be important. When a miracle happens, whether it's just one of those coincidences that God steps in or a relationship or you see God do something powerful, he has provided for you somehow, that is an incredible thing. You'll never forget it. God it becomes even more close in the midst of that. However, it has to come with a warning uh, because... What happens is, is that if God has provided a personal miracle, especially feeding 5,000 people, the temptation is to start seeking stuff and not him. And these people, as we see in the scriptures, in verse 25, they're asking, how did he even get here? They didn't know he walked on the water. And then in verse 26, it says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus speaking, he says, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And then he says, do not work for uh, food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And here's point number one. So if you're taking notes, you can just write this down. Where's your focus? Where is your focus? And that is what Jesus is kind of getting on to these people about. You see, we're all seekers. We're seeking God. We're seeking purpose. We're seeking uh, acceptance in life. We're seeking these things. But what happens oftentimes is we're seeking the temporary instead of the eternal. And so as I think about where where's your focus, where was these people focused? I want you to hear this. I think this is a huge point. Seeking temporary stuff and things will often keep you from your truest need, which is eternal. And I think so often people are looking for temporary things. They're looking for fish and chips. They're looking for God to make their life comfortable. They're looking for Jesus as what I call his hands instead of his face, which they really need to worship him because he is God and know what is eternal. And when this is what I call bargaining with God. You ever bargain with God? God, if you'll do this for me, then I will follow you. Listen, God is worthy to worship and praise. He is, he is worth it because he is God. And so he is really challenging the people. Where's your focus? Because you see, God knows the motives of your hearts. Uh, so often we, we go into worship and we go into this worship and our, our focus, we say is on God, but our focus is really on our feelings. And what we do is we miss God. And if we could just Find him in the midst of this. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so we need to seek his face, not his hands. And he yes, he did say we could ask for things, but we miss so much because we're seeking the temporary and not the eternal. And I, I've discovered this, too. Where your focus, where your attraction is, will lead to your destination. If it's always about you. If it's always about feeling good, if it's always about your your destination, will get skewed somehow because you're so nearsighted. My uh, grandfather, who was a cotton farmer, I would go out there to his farm and I would see where he had disc his rows. And they were so straight. I, I couldn't believe how straight there was. I, I thought, man, I can't even do that. But you see, my grandfather, when he got in the tractor, he's not looking to uh, nearsighted, he's not looking to the front of the tractor. He's looking off in the distance, and as he's focused out in the distance, his lines are straight. 
So I think what Jesus is getting across here is that is that your focus needs to be on me and your destination will be a life that is straight instead of all out of kilter. And so where is your focus? You know, the curse of the flesh is always asking this question. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And we as followers of Christ want to see, God, what's in it for you? Now, let's get on in the passage because there's going to be three times where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so we go on down to verse, uh, look at verse 33. They have already argued and said, you know, uh, Moses gave us manas and manna in the wilderness and all this kind of thing. And Jesus said, Moses didn't give it to you. God gave it to you. But uh, listen, that is temporary stuff. But in verse 33, he says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they ask him this. uh, They make this statement. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus made this declaration for the first time. He said, I am showing his divinity. I am the bread of God. Of life, And whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he goes on to say, I have come down to do the will of him who sent me. He said, I am the bread of life. Now, for us, I brought some bread. Um, you know, for us and bread, it's not talking about just the flour and the yeast and everything that goes into making that bread. When it, when the scriptures would refer to bread, it was talking about all the sustenance of life. Um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds in the mouth of God. So, so bread is symbolic of all those things that brings sustenance. But bread itself, there's four things that bread brings that I want to share with you uh, right quick. Number one, it, it nourishes and sustains life. And what we're seeing is, is we're paralleling what Jesus came to do. And he came to make your life flavorful. He came to bring you nourishment and to sustain your life. The second thing about bread is it satisfies a deep need. Now, if you're hungry, uh, I've shared the story with you before growing up in Waco, how I used to smell the bread from Mrs. Baird's bread. And I wanted bread all of a sudden. But it satisfies that deepest need that is in you, that it's a physical need. And so we eat the bread to uh, satisfy that physical need. However, Pascal said this. He said, every man has a God-shaped void inside of them. And I think that's true. And it's an eternal void that's come because of sin in our life. And Jesus came as the bread of life to satisfy that deepest need inside of us. Here's the third thing about bread. When you're hungry and you get weak, bread brings energy to your life. It energizes. And that's what Jesus does. By his spirit in, in, in coming in, he enables us. He energizes us to live life the way he would have us live life. And then the fourth thing is this. Bread creates desire. Now, uh, we got to be careful with bread. If you eat bread, you want more bread. And you want more bread. You create a desire within you, especially if there's honey on it or there's something sweet and, and you just want more and more of it. It creates a desire for more. I have discovered this. If you truly have a relationship with the King of Kings, the bread of life, which is Jesus, you will desire more. 
You will hunger for more. There's no way you get fully satisfied in just one dosage. You get full of him and you desire more. Now, with the bread of life, though, I want to give you a warning. Uh, and that warning is this. Beware of spiritual junk food. You can write that down. Beware of spiritual junk food. Yeah, you know, junk food that we eat basically uh, contains no nutritional value. It's just something that tastes good. Uh, it's something that we, it, whether it's potato chips or a candy bar or whatever, we, we love those things. But how many times did your parents tell you when you were a little kid or if you're a kid watching your parents told you, don't ruin your supper? You know, because you do not want to ruin it by eating junk food because mom's going to have healthy food for you at, at dinner time. But spiritually, we have to be careful that we're not feeding on the world all the time and what it's having to offer. And it's cutting our appetite for the bread of life. Um, the things of this world are always going to appeal to our flesh. And so we keep asking, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Consumerism takes over, and we, we don't even find ourselves hungering after God anymore. Um, we can't go into uh, so many groceries. We, we can go into the grocery stores. We can't hang around enough to look at the magazine racks. You know how they put the magazine racks at when you're checking out? And the reason they do that is, is because they're telling you that the latest, greatest thing you need to do to be satisfied with life. And what's odd about it is, this is April. The magazines come out in April. In May, they're going to tell you something else that's going to make you happy about life. And so this is spiritual junk food that we do instead of the bread of life. But right behind that, not only spiritual junk food... But spiritual fad diets, you know, we live in the day of all kinds of fad diets, and I'm not making fun of diets. Uh, for many, it's helped them. But there's so many, I, don't, I can't even keep up with them anymore, the fad diets that are out there. And so we see uh, fad diets that people want to get into to lose, diet, uh, lose weight. But we also see, spiritually, we have to be careful of shortcuts to spiritual growth. Um, I get blogs all the time. I get things in the mail all the time that just simply tell me if I would just add water, so to speak, I will be a, a giant Christian, a spiritual, mature man. These are what I call false teachings. And Jesus himself said, be aware of false teachers that come at you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are, are ravenous wolves. Um, it takes discipline and effort to grow in your faith. Don't let anybody say, oh, I have a shortcut to spiritual growth. Because it's going to take the word. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take spiritual disciplines. Salvation is a gift. The bread of life is a gift from God. But I believe that a growing disciple is going to have to put forth the effort. So it's like if Brett were to give me a guitar as a gift. And it's a gift that he has given me. And, and I receive that gift. Thank you, Brad. I, I, I really appreciate this gift so much. And I have this guitar. Believe me, it's a great gift, but I don't know how to enjoy it. I think sometimes we, we say, Lord, I give you my life, but, but I don't know what that means. I don't know how to enjoy it. But if somebody helps me to learn the discipline of playing that guitar, now it is an incredible thing. 
So that is, is what we need is to beware of spiritual uh, junk food and spiritual fats. Real quick, let me finish here. Jesus goes on in verse 51 and he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if you back up to verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. Two quick things I want to tell you about believing and receiving the bread of life. Number one is this. God is the one who draws you. It's what I call a heavenly tension takes place inside of you. Many of you that are followers of Jesus remember that time that sin conviction came in your life and you said, Lord, I need you. I need what you did at the cross. And so there's this drawing, this wooing that comes forth in your life. And then so if we're going to receive the bread, number one, God draws you. And number two is this, the one who believes. Verse 47 says this. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. And I am the bread of life. It's like this stool right here that I'm sitting on. I can believe in my head all day long that this stool can hold me up. But it's not until I put my weight on it that I truly believe. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, God the Father draws you by His Holy Spirit. There's this holy tension that you desire the bread of life. And then He says, the one who believes, the one who is willing to put the weight of His life into me by faith, they're the ones that receive the bread of life. Uh, In fact, this creates an even greater tension for some if they do not respond. Because... Towards the end of this chapter in John 6, 66, many people walked away because they cannot handle it. You see, he is the bread of life. And he's offering this incredible gift to anyone who will call upon him. And the Lord may be drawing you today and he's waiting for you to believe and to respond. I, I just thought about this as I bring this to a conclusion today. And just some thought questions. Is the temporary uh, wants of life keeping you from eternal life. Here's a second question. Is there a holy tension into you today that maybe the Spirit of God is drawing you to the bread of life saying, I need the Lord today? And then last of all is, do you need to respond today to the bread of life? He is calling you. And today you're needing to respond saying, Lord, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe that you are the one who gives true life. In during World War II, when the Blitz was happening in London, these bombing raids came that there they had many orphans that uh, came out of that. Their parents were killed and they would take these orphans and they would put them in uh, orphanages or homes. And uh, as they would put them there, they would notice how the kids, when it came time to eat, would just eat and eat and eat. But when they went to bed at night, they were so restless and fearful and they were trying to figure out what can we do that they will sleep through the night and realize they're okay. And what they decided to do is they decided to take a piece of bread. And what they did is at night when every one of these young men and young women, boys and girls would lay down in their bed, they would give them a piece of bread to hold in their hand. And so when they went to bed at night, they knew they would have food the next day. I want you to know that Jesus is the bread of life. And he is not there just for today. He is there to bring nourishment and satisfaction to your life every day if you're willing to believe and call upon him. 
Today, our prayer is, is that you come to know Jesus as the bread of life and to follow him and to grow in him. I want to pray with you because maybe that is your prayer today as you come to this time. Lord, we acknowledge that you said, I am the bread of life. You are the living bread. You are still alive right now. And God, the father, you are drawing men and women, boys and girls to yourself. And Lord, there's some listening today that are having that holy tension and it's your Holy Spirit drawing them to you. I pray that they will come to a belief today and will repent, will turn from their sins and say, Lord, I need you to bring purpose to life, to bring forgiveness, because you are truly the bread of life. So, Lord, please hear our prayer. And uh, Father, we just want to know you more as we grow in you, as we look. We just want to know Jesus better. Lord, because it's all about you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.